Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. And the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, and Mortimer Snur, and Charlie's special guest, Orson Welles. Wake up, America, and stop the experts. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to our show of shows, a podcast about old-time radio. I'm Dan Howland, and I'm joined for the umpteenth time in a row by my pal Tom Higgins. Hi, Tom. Hi, Leo, Dan. How you doing? Doing good. Keeping cool. Yeah, we had some hot weather in Portland. <sighs> and uh, Colorado is getting hot, but we get thunderstorms, so it gets cool again. Yes. Well, every episode, we choose an old-time radio series. We talk about its history, its performers, and importance and legacy, and we try to figure out how it works. And our topic for this week is... Gunsmoke. <laughs> Gunsmoke, Gunsmoke was great. Gunsmoke is one of the... We're going through all the really great radio shows. We're going to get down to the dregs pretty soon, but uh, Gunsmoke is pretty much ranked in everybody's top ten, I'd say. Big fans of old-time radio rank it pretty highly. And it's amazing how much the radio show gets kudos and the TV show... Kind of gets accolades, but yeah. Well, okay. Well, let me I'll, let me talk about yeah. the format for just a second. We'll talk about that a little. I don't want to talk about the TV show too much, though. Um, Gunsmoke was a half-hour Western drama on the radio, and it had a nine-year run on CBS from I think it was CBS, wasn't it? I think so. Yes, CBS. Yeah, CBS. Yeah. From 1952 to 1961. And from 1955 to 1975, there was a television version that started off as a half hour and then became an hour-long drama. And uh, it it took place in an alternate universe. It's not the same as Gunsmoke. I mean, even is, yeah, even the character names were were changed slightly. All sorts of things were changed about it. And um, well, anyway, let's not talk too much about the TV version. It's not as good. Um, and the history of Gunsmoke is in the, this is, it's kind of an odd uh, mashup of ideas. Um, in the 1940s, the president of CBS was William S. Paley, and he was a big fan of the Philip Marlowe Hardboiled Detective TV series. And he got an idea to do exactly that, a Hardboiled Detective series set in the Old West. So a and dusty detective series. A dusty detective series. <laughs> Down these dusty, mean streets, a man must walk, right? So he assigned his West Coast vice president, Harry Ackerman, who was the developer of the Marlowe series in the first place, to develop this new show. And he got two script writers, um, Mort Fine and David Friedkin, to write an audition script called Mark Dillon Goes to Gougei. I love that name, Gougei. (laughs) Gougei, yeah. There's a Western town name for you. Uh, which was a reworking of a tough guy detective script from a series called Mike Shane, which, of course, they did a lot in those days. You'd take a script and just rework it into something else. And they made two audition recordings, and they were about to proceed with production with an actor named Howard Culver in the lead. But Culver had a contract that wouldn't allow him to do a Western because he'd already played the lead in a Western called Straight Arrow. I, I, so love, the, that you, I love that the whole thing of you can't do another Western. You've been Westerned out. Yeah, yeah, and you know that I don't understand how that worked because most actors worry about getting typecast. Or, I mean, John Wayne was like, or the, they're happy to get typecast. Yeah, exactly. You know? Wayne was a Western actor, for yeah. all intents and purposes. Yeah, he occasionally did other uh, other roles, but uh, the majority of his work was Western. Um, so anyway, a few years after this. 
producer Norman MacDonald and writer John Meston were kicking around ideas for a Western, and they wanted to make one that was intended for adults. Because most Westerns at this time were things like The Lone Ranger or Gene Autry, where it was aimed at kids, and it would all be, you know, the evil... Uh, Railroad developer would be coming through and trying to take the farm and and the hero would have to shoot the gun out of the bad guy's hand and you know all that kind of nonsense. The long mustache comes out of the window. Yeah. You knew yeah. exactly who the bad yeah. and the good guys were. Right. Yeah. So uh, these two, uh, Norm MacDonald and John Meston, found out about this Mark Dillon show and they modified it and they came up with Gunsmoke. So that was the origin of it. Was Their idea was to make an a Western for adults. So I think they really succeeded because um, it still holds up today. It's still, uh, it's incredibly well written. Um, the sound effects are great. It's, it's wonderful. And most of all, it has an amazing cast. And not just that, it, it actually tackles issues. Right. Which yeah. a lot of other shows go out of their way to stay away from Gunsmoke mm -hmm. has several very adult episodes yes. which even today would carry an adult disclaimer yes well and they part of that is because on radio you could have you could have the victim of torture be discovered by the hero of the show and you couldn't do that on television you know and you couldn't show that but you leave it to people's imagination and it's terrifying. Or you could have women who are obviously being beaten and abused by their husbands. Yeah. And, you know, you could have that on the radio and, and you it, you don't have to, pardon the phrase, but you don't have to pull your punches. You know, it's, it's, uh, it was pretty graphic for and the era. Some of the, some of the medical emergencies that he finds himself in don't go very well. Whereas, like, you no, know, no. Gene Autry he, would would do a complete open heart surgery with a lasso <laughs> and uh, his horse holding the scalpel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is an episode of Gunsmoke where Matt has to amputate somebody's leg and the guy dies. The guy afterwards. dies anyway. It's yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's a pretty grim show. I mean, uh, within the constraints of it being a 1950s uh, thing, there's a little bit of pulling of punches here and there. Like, they never mention uh, prostitution on the show. But it is clearly... It's clearly, clearly implied. And Miss, so. Miss Kitty yeah. introduces several of the female characters in all but name as working yeah. ladies. Right, exactly. Well, let's let's get on to the characters because now we're starting to talk about them a little bit. Um, so, well, the first thing I'm going to say about this is, this is something I realized a while ago as I was listening to a whole bunch of episodes, is at the very beginning in that introduction that we played before the show started here, um, Dylan says the job of Marshall makes him a little lonely. But I don't think that's entirely true. I think that the thing that keeps him from cracking under the pressure of the job is that he has uh, three really close friends who support him. And, yeah. Yeah. And those three characters are, we'll start off with Chester, who is all but a deputy. Chester Wesley Proudfoot, who's played by Parley Bear. And his role on the show was to be a comic relief sidekick, partly. He was the foil, yeah. He was the foil. He's also partly the guy who just says the obvious thing so that the audience can hear the obvious thing somewhere in the script. Yep. So he, he's so he'll say, he'll, he'll, he will constantly say, well, he's just about the meanest man I ever met in my life. That sort of thing. You know, we already know that, but for some, for script reasons, you need to have yeah. it emphasized. And so he it, says that kind of thing. In earlier times, he would be the Greek chorus. Yeah. Something like that. That's part of his, part of his role there. Um, and he was fantastic. I, uh, Parley Bear was really a good actor. Um, he played Chester dumb as a bag of hammers. But <laughs> God, he's so every once in a while, it's just like somebody tricks him into doing something or he just does something stupid. But he's really loyal and he's really good in the clutch. So whenever there's a situation where Dylan says, you take the shotgun and go around the back and do this. 
Chester does exactly the right thing at that moment. As long as he's got somebody leading him, he's okay. And I think he's essentially a dog in human form. He's really loyal. He's really stupid. But if you say sit and stay, he will, in fact, sit and stay. <laughs> so I wonder how much of Chester, because I always, uh -huh. when I first listened to the show, mm -hmm. I thought Chester was part Indian, was part native. Well, he's got an odd name, Chester Wesley Proudfoot. And you only hear Chester for the, like the first couple of shows. You, the middle and the last name don't come out to, to, to later, at least as I remember. Yeah, well, actually, as I, as I remember reading about it, um, um, William Conrad, who we'll talk about in a bit, but William Conrad was the lead on the show, and he added a lot of the character names to the show. And so he, I think Chester, when he first came out, was just like Townsman One or something like that. The very first episode, just came running up and saying, you know, Mister Dillon, Mister Dillon. <laughs> but um, so he named him Chester Proudfoot, and I think Parley Bear added the Wesley in the middle, if I remember right. But Proudfoot, I looked up because it's such an odd name that I'd never heard before, and it's actually an old. Uh, British name. There's a yeah, lot of well, if, people if you're, British. So if you're a reader, I know you do not like this particular author. Yeah, but here we go. Yeah, it's a Hobbit name. It's a it? Hobbit name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it literally is, isn't it? There's a there's a proud, Hobbit name. Proud foot. Proud feet. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. proud foot people. Yeah. Oh well. Oh well. We get to echo things around to but, other pop culture things. Of course. There you go. Yeah. But I had, I had always at first thought he was kind of the Tonto. Yeah, of yeah. The, of, the, of the show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but he's definitely a comic relief character. That's yeah. That's his function on the show. Uh, Parley Bear played a lot of other odd roles, and among the really odd ones were he played Ernie Keebler, the elf, from the cookie commercials. That, is, that, that truly is <laughs> a time-honored role. Yes. Um, he played a lot of sheriffs and deputies on a show called Tales of the Texas Rangers. So I guess he had a certain amount of typecasting, you know, that he was always going to be the deputy or the uh, nearly the sidekick because, you know, the Texas Rangers were like the FBI or something for Texas, and then they would work with a sheriff, and he was... You know, three times out of five, he was the sheriff in that yeah. situation. He's got the voice for it. Yeah, yeah, he's he just sounds like a sheriff. Yeah, and um, he played. He was on one episode of Star Trek Voyager, playing an old man. So that's that's for other geeks who are in Star Trek Voyager. You remember that? Oh yeah, hey. <laughs> Mrs. Columbo. Yeah, Mrs. Columbo was the captain of a starship. She she was trying to get away from her husband, and she, right. uh, took, she went to Starfleet. <laughs> so the second major character is um, Dr. Charles Doc Adams, who was played by the great radio actor Howard McNear. Who I will always know as Floyd the Barber. Yeah, everybody knows that that's his signature role is Floyd the Barber. That's what everybody thinks of. But he was um, he was uh, on he from the 1930s through the 50s he was on the radio a lot and he played um, a character on uh, Speed Gibson of the International Police a great show a great pretty great which we, show which we will cover someday yeah yeah we got to do something about children's adventure series okay. the, Speed Gibson in particular there's a there's a whole show there Speed Gibson is pretty good. It's it's a little bit draggy because it's it's like a soap opera. Yeah, we'll cut know, it down. For, yeah, right. We'll <laughs> um, anyway, he worked on a ton of radio shows in the 1950s, and I'd say he specialized in comic roles. When he was on Speed Gibson, he was a serious character in a show for kids, and then later he played a lot of com comedic roles. And my personal favorite of those was in an otherwise terrible episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, called The Indestructible Mike Matter, in which he he, he played um, just a, uh, a homeless tramp who was unfailingly cheerful, even though people were trying to kill him and blow him up and things. And as long as you gave him a little alcohol, he would just be as happy as could be. Yeah, and, that sounds like Floyd. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Um, and there was a really weird episode, and we've got a clip from this because it's it's really bizarre, where they completely changed the backstory for the character of Doc Adams. Doc Adams is the kindly, curmudgeonly um, country doctor character on Gunsmoke. And uh, in this episode, for some, I don't know, it's really weird. They wrote a new backstory for him where he's not actually named Charles Doc Adams. It's revealed that he's his name is Calvin Moore, and he's wanted for murder. All right, Doc. A deputy sheriff from Virginia came in on the morning train. He's got a warrant for murder against a man named Calvin Moore. And a photograph of Moore taken 19 years ago. Would you like to take a look at it? I don't think so, Matt. Are you Calvin Moore? It wasn't murder, Matt. They said it was murder, of course. So that was strange. That was a little bit like that thing on The Simpsons where they, um, where Principal Skinner turns out to not be actually Principal Skinner. Yeah. Or he's someone else. Or... This was one of those episodes where you're listening to it and you're expecting one episode and all of a sudden it's like, wait, who? What? It takes a left turn, doesn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and then, and then well, after and the that, fact. That's the great thing about old uh, series stuff is they didn't do story arcs from episode to episode. So it's like there's a reset every single time an episode every ends. You go right back to the same situation you were before. Calvin Moore disappears, man. Cal- well, Calvin, it's it may still be there in the background, but it's never referred to again in the series. You know, and they don't must, they that, don't tease him by calling him Calvin in future episodes. That must be that Midwestern thing where you know, this is just one of them things we don't talk about. Yeah. Right. Well, that happens occasionally on Gunsmoke because they'll see something so horrible. I think that comes up in the clip that I play later. Um, all right, so the the third um, support character is Miss Kitty Russell, who was played by Georgia Ellis, and she was later billed as Georgia Hawkins. I assume she either got married or divorced. I assume she got married. Probably. She was a pretty low-profile performer, I had a tough time getting much biographical info on her before we recorded this. Um, there's not a lot out there about her. I mean, she did some other TV appearances after Gunsmoke. But, uh, and I think she did some other radio stuff here and there. She did a lot of radio stuff. She, I think she did stuff. I think she did a few episodes of that Escape show. That, that escape show. That show Escape, I should yes, say. Yes, there you go. Yeah, that show it's Escape. people sitting there, they go, what do you mean that? Escape? That Escape show, right. Yeah, there's, there's a show called Escape. And um, that show had a rotating cast of that William Conrad was frequently in it. Hans Conried was in it a lot. Uh, Paul Fries was in it a lot. So they would have the same actors playing different people because it was an anthology show. Um, anyway, uh, Kitty started out the series as a saloon girl which which we can definitely read as a prostitute and um i think the producers of the show said she's just somebody that matt has to go visit from time to time Was their way? Man's got to do what a man's got to do out here in the West. They did a really naughty blooper where the sound editors edited together uh, essentially a sex scene out of out of clips. And we'll go into Uh, the clip here. No, we're not going to play that on this (laughs) show. That I'll tell you something about the bloopers that is great. You can really hear that that. That that particular thing was just like a stag film that they made just to play yeah. at a party and that would make everybody laugh. But the actual bloopers where they're blowing their lines, it, they're all laughing and having fun. Everybody in the cast, I, I gather they really liked each other. It was a so, fun show, yeah. Yeah, it was a fun show for them to do. Even though it was a grim show, I mean, clearly they all uh, liked doing it. And they knew, I think, that they were at the top of their game when they were doing it, you know, that it well, was... That one this the, was a really great radio show and that they were lucky to be on it. So, yeah. One of the things I like about Miss Kitty, though, is over time, mm-hmm. she becomes the keeper of the saloon. And yeah. she, they never Not say Not just the this, keeper. She, she starts 
she becomes the co-owner of the saloon of the Long Branch with uh, Sam the bartender. Yep. And but, then she later becomes the so, the owner of it, and Sam is her employee. So. And you, they never say it outright, but she talks about some of the girls in the various episodes, the women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, you can clearly hear that she's got herself a nice bundle of employees. Yes. Of, what she, of saloon girls. Yeah. And she she's, talks lovingly about them. She is the mother hand. Yeah. Yeah. She's a madam, definitely. Yeah, it's pretty obvious that that's the case. Um, and then we move on to the main character of the show. And this is Marshall Matt Dillon, who was played by William Conrad. Uh, William Conrad was born in 1920, so he was in his 30s when he got the role, maybe his early 30s. And after Gunsmoke, he did a lot of movie producing. Um, he narrated Rocky and Bullwinkle. A fact I never put together until <laughs> recently. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Uh, the, the cast of Rocky and Bullwinkle was famous for uh, setting his script on fire oh. as he was reading it. Uh, and that's sometimes why he'll get to the end of the uh, story and he'll say, join us next time on Rocky and Bullwinkle, you know, really fast because they've set his script on fire. <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, later, he played the TV detective Cannon and he starred in a show called Jake and the Fat Man. Did he play Jake or was he... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, come on. Yeah. Well, that was blew, of, I mean, he went big in Hollywood. He, he was always uh, a stocky man, you know. Um, and when they did some publicity photos for the radio show Gunsmoke, it's pretty obvious that he's sucking in his gut all the way yeah. up to his chest, you know, to make him to make himself look um, more macho, I guess, or something. Sheriffy, yeah. Yeah, right. To look more like a sheriff. Um but yeah, he was a heavy guy. He was a he was a big guy. He went full Orson Welles after a while, and that's why they didn't cast him in the TV series because he just didn't look the part of of a sheriff. Uh, they got uh, James Arness to play Matt Dillon on the TV series. They got the thing. They got the guy <laughs> who looked like um, a chiseled sculpture, that sculpture of John Wayne at the airport, that big bronze of John Wayne. That's what he looks like. He's just, he's, he's, I think he was like six foot seven or something. And the only reason I know that, because I don't care that much about the show was because uh, the actor who played Chester was six feet tall and, uh, and he, he, was he looked small. short. He looked short compared to to James Arness. Yeah. Anyway, uh, getting back to <laughs> getting back to the guy we care about, William Conrad. Um, he got the part, I think, because uh, two reasons: he had a really commanding voice, and the second reason was um, he was a good actor. He he played the character with some uh, sympathy and some. Uh, you cared about the character. It, it, it could have gone really south because he could have just seemed like a, a cold, unsympathetic character, but Conrad brought a lot to the role. You were saying, what? A lot of Western, well, a couple of Westerns tried to do that stoic, martial, walking alone in the wind type of thing, and they totally, yeah. they do what you said. It just, you have no sympathy for the character. Yeah. Well, Whereas think... he was able to actually give it an actual depth that you didn't feel like he was standoffish for no good reason. He, this was a guy who's been through some stuff. Yeah, well, and one of the one of the reasons I, again I think the series works is because he has these secondary characters who support him, and that's what keeps him from cracking up. Because if he were just a single solitary character going through all this, it would have he would have been he would have killed himself. I mean, well, not he, not to start the conspiracy here, yeah. but. <laughs> uh-huh. As I've been, as I was doing, as you said, you wanted to do this. I was doing mm-hmm. some research. It came to mind that you could easily start a train of thought that says he was alone, and these characters <laughs> were the fractured figment because oh, he's a cracked character. could he could go that route, and if he, if you take that premise, that would be a perfect well, the, little. Yeah, I suppose so. But I take, I always take. 
what is uh, canon, if you'll excuse the phrase. It, it's I have to accept that what's presented through the speaker as being actually happening. You believe because, in an honest because, narrator. Yeah, I, I do in this particular case because it's never presented that it's anything else. Yeah, and I agree um, with you, but I just I, I think I think there is a show that does have a really dishonest narrator and and that the only one I can think of offhand that has a really dishonest narrator has got to be The Lives of Harry Lyme. Oh yeah, so, he's yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, he's always painting himself uh, so you, you you know this that if this story really happened in the real world, it didn't happen the way the character's telling you, because yeah, he's painting himself as being the victim and this and that. So yeah, I don't I don't go that route because then you start to go, what if there's no Mrs. Columbo? You know, <laughs> wait, whoa, 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 hey, yeah. hey, heresies, yeah. heresies. Yeah, well, that doesn't work either because they there's an episode where they go on a cruise and and she's won the cruise and the the crew has seen her around. So other characters. Well, they've her seen her, but never with him. Yeah, I know. Not saying Norman oh. Bates here, but I'm saying, <laughs> you know, oh, he's no. always asking about clothing yeah. and shoes. No, no. My wife would love it. I would love it. (laughs) No, but I I think Matt Dillon is an honest narrator, but just listening to the shows Mm -hmm. and having that thought in my head for a couple of the shows, it was kind of like, wow, he is in some really tough times. He could have cracked. Yeah. Yeah. A normal person would have. Yeah, I think so. And and just the, the repetition of situations that would have cracked anybody. You know, the the number of scenes he comes upon where somebody's been killed brutally, you know, it, it you wouldn't have to just be tough. You'd have to be bonkers not to yeah. not to crack. They did. Um, there's a there's another show that comes at the Western from a different angle. Uh, the TV show Maverick. Um, you know, the they, James Gardner with the James Gardner thing. And yeah, they did an episode called Gunshy. In which they they just lampooned the hell out of gun smoke. <laughs> and and they really did make the I what if they what was the name of that character? He was something like Mort Dallion or you know, something like that. And yeah. uh, they just made him practically a sociopathic killer with a with hiding behind his badge, you know. All he wanted to do was run people out of town or shoot them, you know. <laughs> And and of course James Garner's character is is just like this, you know, a, a coward who doesn't like to hit people, and you know, is <laughs> so it was that was a great episode. I I recommend that after you've listened to a few gun smokes, or I guess it was more a lampoon of the TV show. Yeah, yeah, but uh, still, even so. Um, I've got a little piece of trivia about William Conrad that just fascinated me. I, I don't remember where I found this. It might have just been on Wikipedia. Um, yeah, I guess it was from my notes here. Um, in the 1960s, um, William Conrad had started doing a lot of producing and had done a, quite a few successful movies. So Jack Warner of Warner Brothers gave him the screen-used prop Maltese Falcon the same one that Sidney Greenstreet had slashed with a knife. And that uh, that blew my mind because he kept that on his mantle. William Conrad had the Maltese Falcon, the one of the most coveted movie props of all time, on his mantle. And after he died, I think it sold, at the first auction, it sold for something like $300,000. And the next time it went up for auction, it was, I think, over a million. When I when I was a kid, I was a big movie buff. And the mm-hmm. Maltese Falcon, finding the original Maltese Falcons, finding mm-hmm. copies of them, yeah. that was always like in the buzz around movie trivia prop stuff. Yeah. yeah. Everyone so, everyone wanted to have found it. Yeah. Like Constitution and well, they painting made, in the attic. They made, I think, something like six of them. Some of them yeah, weren't. There, some there of them were two weren't that were used on screen. Used. Yeah, there were a couple used on screen, but he had one of the two that was used on screens. That's beautiful. The other ones got used. Uh, we're getting way off topic here, but the other ones got used in a movie called The Black Bird with George Seagal. Oh um, Jesus, no! Which was no. A, yeah, they, I remember they, that one. Remember that one? Yeah, that was pretty. That was not a good movie. 
Mild, so, so, mildly amusing, I think, is the best you can say about that one. He was yeah. he was the Michael Caine of his day. <laughs> he, at, yeah, at, at one point in Michael the seventies, he was in the, everything. If Michael he Caine was in could everything. play the banjo, yeah. But. Oh, Michael Caine, I'm <laughs> going to play the banjo now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why do we fall off topic, Master? Bruce? I don't know, but anyway. Uh, now on to the supporting cast of Gunsmoke, and this is this is one of those fun radio things, is that most of the male supporting characters over the years, that like nine years that Gunsmoke was on, were played by four guys. Yep. Was, every show. Every, every show has heard. at least two of these guys in it, at, at least two. Uh, Lawrence Dobkin, Vic Perrin, John Daner, and Harry Bartell. Um, those four are mentioned, in, at least two of them in the credits for every episode. And they had a lot of other guest stars came in, you know, dozens of other people cycled through various roles. But the vast majority of the roles were these four guys. And I think that contributed a lot to the uh, ensemble cast feel of the show. Yep. Is yeah, everybody got along, and you know, you knew that if John Daner was coming in to play the heavy, it was going to be great, you know. And, Har and Harvey uh, Harry Bartell was in Johnny Dollar a yeah, number of times. Yeah, he was in a lot of times. Uh, a cut to get back to my geeky uh, Star Trek connections. Go for it, brother. Here we go. Uh, Vic Perrin played a pacifist in the Spock with a Beard episode. And yep. he was the voice of Nomad, and I think he did one or two other voices here and there throughout Star Trek. And Lawrence Dobkin did a lot of directing, and he directed Charlie X in the original Star Trek series. And on The Next Generation, he played a Klingon. So that there we go. There are all of my Star Trek connections for this Nicely episode. done. Thank you. There's a really weird supporting cast moment in one episode. I don't know why, but Howard McNeil wasn't available to play Doc. And they brought in Paul Freeze. And Paul Freeze, if you don't know who he is, I call him the poor man's Orson Welles. He was the voice of the Haunted Mansion's ghost host at Disneyland. Ding, was, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. There we reference. go. I did it. I brought it around to Disneyland. Uh, he, was the, he played the majority of the pirates in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. He was Boris Badenoff on Rocky and Bullwinkle. And there we go, Rocky and Bullwinkle again. And it's, <laughs> it's a touchstone. And he played, of all things, the Pillsbury Doughboy. And he, Which, yeah, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, he had a four-octave range, so he could do high-pitched voices and low-pitched voices. Most of the time, he got called on to do sort of his Orson Welles voice. You know, that was the thing that he would do for a lot of narration and stuff like that. Yeah. But he, as Doc, is terrible. He doesn't bring any... He manages sort of to get the voice down and the timbre, but none of the character. It's not a good episode, and I can't even remember the name of the episode. Um, and yet, he's an amazing Boris Badenoff. Oh, he's great in other roles. He's terrific in a lot of other things. So... The, well, it's got to it's got to be hard to step into yeah a really established really established role like, role like that. It would be like somebody coming in and playing Doctor McCoy on Star Trek. You know, you just go, why didn't they just give the character another name and say McCoy's on shore leave or something? You know, it, it, they, they actually, also I really didn't understand why they did this. This is the thing that they did with Gunsmoke is they would very often re-record a show that they'd already done. And I don't know why they didn't just go to a repeat or find a show without Doc or something that they could have done. But they would very often reuse a script, and it's the exact same script. What One of the headaches of archiving this show mm -hmm. is the fact that there are redos and you have to make sure it's actually a redo and not a rebroadcast. Right. Yeah, that must be a pain. This The yeah. clip we're going to play actually was done twice. Um, they redid this episode, and there is a change. Um, at the end of it, in one, he uh, Chester says the Long Branch, and then the other one, he says the Alaforganza, the other bar in town. 
that's weird because I listened to both of them and honestly the performers are hitting the exact same notes they're hitting the exact same beats it's the same damn thing i did i don't know why they did this but anyway this is a really good episode this is this is an episode that if i were going to expand an episode out into a novel this would probably be the one i would pick uh what's it, it called it's called bloody hands and this matt dillon starts having nightmares about how many people he's killed. Ah, uh, so he's starting to have a psychic he's, split. He's starting of. to. He's. This is what go. I was talking about earlier. He's coming close to to cracking, and he just decides to repent, quit his job, and slack off. And this clip comes at the end of the episode when he's relaxing on a fishing trip with Kitty, but of course troubles are brewing in Dodge. I'm at. Look, there's somebody coming on horseback. Look. Ah, it's Chester. Oh, yeah. Looks like he's in a hurry, too. <laughs> Maybe he couldn't wait for that fish fry. Yeah. Mr. Dillon? Oh, hello, Miss Kitty. Hello, Chester. Mr. Dillon, Joe Stanger's in town. Oh? Well, that doesn't matter to me, Chester. But you don't understand. Don't understand what? What I come to tell you. Stanger's at the Long Branch, and a while ago he had words with one of the girls there, and she slapped him, and he he pulled out his gun, and he, he killed her. He what? Who was the girl, Chester? Kate Hawkins. Oh, no. That's who it was, Miss Kitty. Then the bartender tried to stop him, and Stanger shot him, too, and I hear he's going to die. I grabbed a horse off the hitch rail and come right out to tell you you've got to stop him, Mr. Look, Dillon. Chester, I'm not the marshal here anymore. I quit, remember? You mean you're going to let Joe Stanger walk around Dodge and shoot everybody that gets in his way, including women? I'm through killing. I told you that. Well, who's going to stop you then? You're the only man around here that'll go up against him, and you know it. It may be true, but I'm still not going to do it. Wait, Mr. Dillon, wait wait a minute. I've, I've been thinking a lot about all this lately, and there's something you've been overlooking. Oh? Men like Stanger and Brand, they they, they got to be stopped. I'd do it if I could, but I can't. I just ain't good enough. Most men ain't. But you are. It's kind of too bad for you that you are. That, that's the way it is, Mr. Dillon, and there's nothing you can do about it. Not now. It's too late. It's way too late. gun, Chester. Yes, sir. You, you want the holster? No, I'll carry it in my belt. Oh, uh, Kitty? Chester will help you carry the fish back. Sure, Matt. Sure. Now, there's a lot to like about that clip. I really do. This is, yes. it's, it's a tough one. Uh, first off, the sound effects really are great at creating the atmosphere of where they're supposed to be. It's supposed to be this idyllic scene by a river, and it really sounds like they were out fishing. You know, there's a river burbling away. and it, they, they suck you right in. Yeah. Uh, Gunsmoke was really noted for the sound effects, which were called sound patterns in the credits. And they were done by uh, Ray Kemper, Bill James, and Tom Handley. And Kemper and uh, James and Kemper had worked previously on a series called Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, which was a modern-day nautical adventure series. I've only listened to one episode. Huh. And I've I, not listened to that one yet. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to give it a go. I the first episode didn't grab me, but it was the first episode was. A little heavy on the setup for the series so i will listen to more of that and maybe yeah. maybe we'll talk about that in a future show but that was where those 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 uh, sound effects guys got their start 
Um, the next thing I really like about that clip we just heard was you really get to hear how the cast uses pauses and spaces between the lines for drama. So you know, you get a sense of Dylan's really coming to a decision before he asks for Chester's gun. There's and this that. is something this is something that you hear a lot in the show that makes it different from a lot of other shows. You you hear the characters thinking. Yeah, they're yeah. not afraid to be quiet. They're not afraid to leave a space for right. dramatic pause to let you know there's something happening. And hang on, there's going to be something really crazy happening. Right. Sometimes it's a little bit uh, corny suspense because very often when there's a gunfight at the end, you know Matt's going to come out of it alive. But there'll be a pause where you kind of don't know who got shot. The smoke hasn't cleared. Yeah, the smoke hasn't cleared. It's yes. a great audio representation of the smoke not clearing. And yeah. You, just, you have to wait. Mm -hmm. and You have to wait a little bit, yeah. But in contrast to so many shows from like the 30s and early 40s where the pattern and the pacing is just relentlessly fast. Yeah, there's there's a feeling in a lot of early shows. It's it, I don't know if you've ever... Uh, you know, seen a comic book where somebody has to like clutter up every panel with tons and tons of stuff and they don't use any white space at all. They don't. Yeah. It's just packed in. That's the, that's the feeling I get from a lot of uh, other radio shows is they don't give time to have a character think. Yep. Yeah. So Johnny, it, Johnny Dollar does this as well. Sometimes is they'll just, they'll be a nice, pregnant pause somewhere and mm -hmm. you know there's a decision being made yes right but i mean it was it was built into the dna of gun smoke i mean that happens all the time you know that just like matt walking down the street it'll just be him you'll hear his footsteps and his spurs jingling yeah you know they seldom did that kind of thing on other radio shows so um i really like this this clip also because it really rounds out Dylan's character as being totally damned. He he's damned if he does, and he's damned if he doesn't. He has to go back to dodge and kill somebody again, and it sucks. It's a really dark episode, I think. Where... All, all I can say is, welcome to parenthood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got. Yeah, this is like this is that when I listen to Gunsmoke, it's like. Every dad decision you have to make is like that whole, I don't like doing this, but Chester, get me my gun. Get me my gun. Yeah. The, the final thing that I really like about this clip is um, the writing is really good on Gunsmoke. And the thing that I like about the way this episode ends is it ends as Matt rides away. It doesn't end with the gunfight. The gunfight isn't important. The, the important thing is Matt's dilemma and his decision. The, the resolution of the problem that's presented isn't even part of it, really. So that's why it ends there. And I find this really funny because I've been looking at a few of the uh, old-time radio uh, uh, discussion groups online, and people uniformly, every time I've searched for this episode... People uniformly complain about how this episode leaves you hanging. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh, please. please. Like, don't, what are you don't talking about? Well. It doesn't leave me hanging because he's going to come back next week and be the marshal again. Okay, just let me just let me bring it back to Star Trek for a second yeah, yeah. here. There, are, there is that class of fan, and God love them. I, if, you, if you're sure. of this class, whatever, yeah. it's your. Life. I have a few you things that, that I'm like. that way about. Yeah. yeah. But every word does not have to be a catchphrase every ending ending does not have to be a starfleet approved ending yeah gun smoke does not end happily a lot and doesn't even like in the middle of the show mm -hmm. you're not thinking how are they going to wrap this up in a happy fulfilling way they're not right you know this by halfway through the episode a lot of people look to these shows to feel that warm happy everything's yeah it's, concluded. It's, I, the thing that i like about gun smoke is i there's an element of nostalgia to listening to it, but I wouldn't keep really coming back to it if it weren't high quality drama, well written and well presented. Well, yeah, and that's a lot of old time radio show listeners. There is definitely two, at least two schools of thought. There's mm -hmm. those shows we listen to because, oh, I remember when right, I first yeah. heard them. 
And then there's the shows you listen to and you're like, I, I listen to that just because it's a good show, not because right. it's old or because it's a golden age show. Mm-hmm. Johnny Dollars, like the Bob Bailey, Johnny Dollars, we've said mm-hmm. this last episode, they're just good. Yeah. Yeah. And there may be elements that the, the way stories are told today is a little different than the way it was in those days. But you could still, if you were a writer, you could go back and really dig into Gunsmoke and, and pick it apart to figure well, out how to write good t- stories. Yeah. It is kind of cool that Gunsmoke is one of those very clear examples of how the writing has stopped using the hero as the great shiny hero. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 a damaged hero. Yeah, yeah, poor guy. He's not singing Gene Autry, who's going, hey, I just shot the man, but it's okay, let's go back and have some good (laughs) do No, this is like, ah, I killed another guy. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's it weighs on him increasingly, but because of the nature of uh, of the no story arc storytelling, he he doesn't reach yeah. the breaking point until that episode of Bloody Hands. And Where then it becomes the breaking point. Yeah. And then it that's the gist of that episode. And then the ser- and then it resets and we go back to the situation as it was before. But just uh, to, just to cap off the writing thing for a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the same time that that's happening on Gunsmoke and other shows on the radio, mm-hmm. a couple of literary parts of the of the literary world at the same time are beginning to go through the same thing as well. Mm-hmm. Science fiction is coming out of that golly gee whiz phase and mm-hmm. hitting Harlan Ellison and some of the darker Asimov stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Philip K. Dick is coming around. There's, you know... Portnoy's complaint coming up around that time. There's, you know, you're beginning to see the hero not be so shiny bright. Right. It's it's not necessarily an anti-hero. There's still a heroic element. No, he's element. a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's yeah. not like the annoying hero or the, the dishonest hero. Yeah, right. Um, well, oddly enough, you were talking earlier about some of the issues that come up on in episodes of Gunsmoke. It, it was a show with issues. <laughs> Well, yeah. it was a show of its time, and it was, then it was a show of the time it was talking about. Yeah, right. And it's one thing that's really odd in a show that is has a um, male lead and a lot of gunplay and a lot of masculine stuff going on, is it was really good on women's issues. Um, Extraordinarily be ahead of its time good. Yes. There would be uh, a lot of episodes about the the stresses and strains of women living out on the prairie, either living alone because their husband had died or their husband was a terrible person and treating them badly. Or, or being a daughter growing up and daughter. looking for the husband, but they don't want a husband. But, hey, Mr. Dillon's here, he'll do. Right, yeah, yeah. So th- there, was a, there were a lot of women's issues uh, done in the show over the years. And uh, I was... Looking at this, and there are, I think, uh, over 500 episodes of Gunsmoke. And uh, oddly enough, there were a couple of women writers on the show towards the end of the run of Gunsmoke. There were women's issues stories in the early episodes of Gunsmoke. It wasn't uncommon. But um, two women writers came in in the last couple hundred episodes, the last 200 episodes, and the first one was named Kathleen Height, and she only wrote about six scripts. But the reason she's important was because she was friends with a woman named Marion Clark. And Marion Clark um, had been um, had written for news broadcasts, and that was her only radio experience. She hadn't written any drama. And something happened, and I can't get information about why this happened, but Marion Clark was in a wheelchair. And her friend Kathleen thought that writing dramatic scripts would be good therapy for her and also a good way for her to make money, you know. Yeah. And so Marion ended up being functionally the head writer in a way. I mean, there was still a showrunner, but in the last 200 episodes of Gunsmoke, she wrote 80 of the last 200 episodes. Which, for that day and age, is... It's, it's huge just as an accomplishment in quantity of work. Um, it's particularly huge with, uh, you know, a woman being credited as a woman in 
a, a lot of women took on, um, you know, they just used their initials or took yeah. on a masculine name or something. But here she was writing for this really masculine show and uh, writing these great scripts. And uh, she was particularly good at coming up with odd situations to build a story around. Um, sometimes I'll be listening to Gunsmoke and I'll go, whoa, this is, this is a weird idea for a, a story. And then at the end it'll say, written by Marion Clark, you know. Um, I think I would love to get more biographical information on Marion Clark because she's just fascinating to me. I am, I'm not just fascinated on her, but the whole situation that that happened and the fact that if that happened today, mm-hmm. if we had a woman writer writing for a Western show, half the internet <laughs> would be saying yeah. it's white genocide, white yeah. male genocide. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Which is just astounding that back then you the... could get this quality of stuff. Yeah. It's not astounding you could get the quality because no, but that yeah. you were that it was yeah, it's it was astounding there. that she got she got she just broke through that glass ceiling, I guess. And you would you think know. this would be something that people would be touting. Like I never heard of this before you brought it up in the show notes. It didn't really occur to me, but I did hear women's two women's names in the credits a lot, so I started digging a little bit and found out about this. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, uh, Marion Clark ended up dying early, which is a pity because she died in 1963, a few years after Gunsmoke uh, ended, and she was just becoming a successful uh, writer of TV westerns. So yeah, that is a shame, man. That is, she, yeah. She, she. I would, I, I don't know if there's any more. If if anybody listening to this ever has any more information about her, let me know because I'm really curious about her. So. Um, now we get to a weird um, little sideline. I love I love that you put this in because I've heard you talk about this before, and it is so true. Have you started listening to this? Okay, let's yes, just tell people what we're talking about. So we're the, talking about my of, my know. segue for this is that both of these women wrote for a show called Fort Laramie, and Fort Laramie was the attempt of the producers of Gunsmoke to make um, you know lightning strike again in the same spot. No. It's it's very similar to Gunsmoke. It's essentially what if instead of being in Dodge City, what if we set our western in a um, fort on the on the frontier, Fort Laramie. Fort Laramie, and it does not work. And it's it, lo- it, it, go ahead. It's it not only doesn't work. It almost shows you exactly why Gunsmoke did Yes, it. yes. And I think it boils down to uh, Raymond Burr in the lead. Uh, Raymond Burr does play the, the main character on Fort Laramie as uh, the character's name is Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry. Um, Lee he, Quince, ma'am, like the fruit. Yes, he plays the part in the same way as that introduction to Gunsmoke where he says it makes him um, watchful and a little lonely. He's playing it distant. He's playing. He's never friends with any of the other characters. He's distant with everybody he meets. He's emotionally withdrawn and... It's just never, you never get a gelling of a cast when you've got a lead actor who is that cold. <laughs> I have met goth teenagers yeah. with more sparkle Personal and personality yes. yeah. than Raymond Burr trying to play stoic Western man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't work at all. And it's it's bizarre that it doesn't work because it's the same... Uh, writer and producer, I think. It's the same sound effects people. It's a lot of the same actors. I know Howard McNear uh, comes in as the uh, storekeeper. Yeah, but it just, it none of it feels like right. it's, like it feels like that bad second string team you put on when everyone else has broken their ankles in high school. Yeah, it's like Crack Magazine. Or they're out with Crack Mono Magazine or something. compared to Mad Magazine. Well, yeah. you can't say that anymore. No, no, not anymore. Actually... No, no, this is. But back in the day, yeah, yeah back absolutely. in the day, yeah. you know, you'd go read crack because you'd read Mad already. Yeah, um, it just it doesn't gel. It just doesn't work. So I can't recommend Fort Laramie. It is interesting to hear it as a contrast to Gunsmoke, though. 
to hear the same production values and the same type of show, but it just never quite works. Anyway, like, like I said, it is it is a good reason. It is a good example of why Gunsmoke does work. The camaraderie, the cast, right? The fact that he doesn't play it so flat, he gives you hope. Yeah, yeah. And everybody in the show, it's a very human show. Yeah, and Fort Laramie was a very cold show that, uh, partly a symptom of it being military and of being you know very rigid characters in it, but just and, and speaking of things that don't work, mm-hmm. at least for me, our next topic. <laughs> yes the the radio show came to an end, uh, partly because of television, partly because there was already a gun. The, the Gunsmoke show was running on television and supplanted it, I guess you could say. Well, there was one other show that kind of did that simultaneous radio TV thing, mm-hmm. but it was the reverse order. It was a TV show, then a radio show. Have Gun Will Travel started oh. as a TV show, and then they made the radio show for it to fill in stuff. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Well, anyway, the... When the TV show started, they reused some of the scripts from the radio show at the beginning. And, but it's a totally different show, even down to the names of the characters. So you had Dr. Charles Adams on the radio show. Why? Why? Just why? why? Because, why? because William Conrad thought that the character, as originally written, was kind of ghoulish. And so he named him after the cartoonist Charles Adams. So there's your Adams family connection. It was, to... Yeah, the show's so rich with good connections. Yes, right. <laughs> it's a cultural pop icon. All I mean, yeah. it's like, and then the TV show becomes, you know, Galen Adams. Yeah, right. Uh, they let the actor uh, choose the first name of the character, and so he chose Galen because that's an ancient Greek uh, doctor. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, Chester Wesley Proudfoot, what a great name. Became Beautiful name. Ch- became Chester Good. Chester Bad. Chester, Chester Very Ch- Bad. Chester Good Bad. Anyway, the TV show ran until the 1970s, and I don't have much to say about People it. People love it. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I watched it when I was a kid, but it didn't. Yeah. I didn't love it. You know, it I remember my grandpa One of many it. things that was just on. Yeah, everybody watched it. Um, I have one more clip from the radio show. And I found this one day when I was just listening through the gun smokes, and it was just a sterling example of how advertisers can undermine the message of a show. This is an episode called The Buffalo Hunters, and it's an episode about a complete rat bastard who does a ton of terrible things, including hunting buffalo to near extinction, until these Native Americans who depend on the bison finally catch up with them. So this has some problematic elements because it involves Indians uh, torturing a guy. Um, uh, but anyway, Dylan has, <laughs> Dylan has some sympathy for the Indians here, even though they do a terrible thing. The, and they do a terrible thing to an extremely terrible guy. But Which, this, yeah. this episode was one of the most horrific episodes I'd ever heard. There's just horror and darkness at the end of this. And then there's a really tone-deaf commercial right afterwards. I don't know how the Indians caught Gadliff. He'd gone a little mad, and maybe that made it easy for him. But they'd finally got themselves a buffalo hunter. And into their unbelievably savage torture of him had gone all the hatred and desperation of a race being slowly starved and driven from their homeland. For all of his evil, Gatliff had died harder than any man I'd ever seen. Chester and I rode back to Dodge, and it was never mentioned between us again. In just a moment, we'll tell you about next week's adventure on Gunsmoke. You know, what you are tomorrow depends on what you eat today. So, Mother... Be sure that the big and little Indians at your house always eat a good breakfast. And tell me, what could be better for breakfast than post-toasties? Post-toasties, you know, are the heap-good cornflakes. The best thing that's happened to corn since the Indians discovered it. 
Uh, well, yeah, that's so. Like, okay, this is the uh... second. This is the second episode in a row where we've had great counterpoint commercials coming after poignant moments. Yes. <laughs> so last week it was the the, the end of Johnny Dollar mm-hmm. and the end of Old Time Radio, followed by a constipation commercial. Uh-huh. And, and this, now this week it's it's your little Indians will love breakfast cereal. Sugar crunchies. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I mean, why not just put bottles of booze and blankets and smallpox infested blankets in the ad with them? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. That, that was ridiculous. Anyway, the, that's how that's what I think about Gunsmoke. <laughs> and that's a that's a great I think I think people need to go and listen to Gunsmoke a lot more because not listen to it just for oh wow it's a great old show but listen to the writing listen to the acting it's really a superlative show yeah yeah and you you were saying that a lot of people are looking for an entry point to listen to old radio shows yeah what's, Gun, what's a good... guns well for for gunsmoke i mean you can just dip in anywhere yeah that is true, I, yeah. the thing about gunsmoke is there are almost no dud episodes of gunsmoke there may be one or two where i kind of rolled my eyes but uh, most of the time, it's a superior show. Yeah. It's it's one you can dip into anywhere. So, so would... if you guys want to listen to Gunsmoke, mm-hmm. there is a specific podcast set just up for <laughs> your needs. Go Not... tell them about your podcast, Tom. So uh, there is a podcast uh, called Westerns, the Western Podcast Stream, and it streams old-time radio westerns. It mm-hmm. has Gunsmoke, it has... Have gun will travel. It has challenge of the Yukon, which I which I love. Challenge of the Yukon is one of those really childish shows that I love. It, but it's a great. A king is just like yeah. you know. We all need a little king yeah. in our lives, man. Yeah. I even have in Fort Laramie and Six Shooter and a couple of other things. You get a good a good mix of western shows. You get a good mix of good westerns and cornball westerns in there. And so. cor- you get to see the complete range of westerns. From, mm-hmm. In fact, there's the, I even slipped in a couple of the Gene Autry Hopalong Cassidy, so you can mm-hmm. get a feel for that kind of, uh, we're going to go work on the ranch and then sing us a song and then have a commercial. Yep. Beautiful so show. where can people get at that, Tom, if they wanted to listen to that podcast? You can get to that podcast at TomWSMF.com. Mm-hmm. And follow the link to the podcasts, the mm-hmm. WSMF podcast. And that is just one of 20 different old-time radio show podcasts mm-hmm. that you can be listening to. We have <laughs> podcasts specifically set up for uh, hard-boiled detectives, um, a yours truly Johnny Dollar stream, all just yours truly Johnny Dollar, um, news got a, reports. Got quiz shows, news reports. Uh, kids shows we got serialized kids shows mm-hmm. Fib McGee and Molly the Great Gildersleeve comedies British comedies mm-hmm. um, I can't even my brain hurts <laughs> with the number of these things mm-hmm. but yeah I mean if there's a genre and our, our, podcast, radio, our podcast is at a different location yeah we're good yeah yeah Your, our podcast is at our show of shows.com slash our show of shows RSS so and can... if you go to our show of shows.com you can get to all the show notes of stuff we've talked about here, mm-hmm. you can get to the shows as audio and also the shows as, as, as YouTube videos, if you are so inclined mm-hmm. to watch them as such. Oh, I'm going to have to find links for the shows we've talked about and put those up in the show notes. But Oh, yeah, definitely. Those I'll show get, notes are... I'll, I'll get that they, done. They're good because we're getting old and we're, we're going to forget things in about two or three. What did we talk about last <laughs> Yes, month? right. We should do a gun smoke show. Yeah, we'll we probably talk there. about gun smoke again and again. Anyway, um, we've also got some, we've got email addresses, which I've yet to hear from anybody, but we're just sort of starting out this podcast. So I'm Dan at our show of shows.com. And I'm Tom at our show of shows.com. And at some point we're going to do a Patreon, but we don't we don't have it we're still working on it but in the meantime we also have a twitter account Mm -hmm. which is at at our show of shows Mm -hmm. and new and fairly fresh and new uh facebook group search for our show of shows on facebook and there is a facebook group well what do you know or or your (laughs) facebooking insta tweeting snap Snapchatting, whatever you guys do Mm -hmm. out there I try to I try to make everyone happy.
If you guys want us to do an Instagram or Snapchat, let me know. I'll set it up. We'll take pictures of my desk or Dan's desk. Yeah, my weird little uh, podcasting rig is... I got to get some pictures of that. Oh, that's my timer going off. Yep. We okay, are... we've, we've hit an hour of talk. And then once we add clips in, it's going to be longer still. So we should probably wrap this up. Um, what are we doing for our next episode? Are you next planning... episode? You are you need to tune back in to hear us talk all about British comedies from the old time radio show days. Um, can you name a couple of those for the good people uh, out there? You're going to be listening to probably a lot of goon show information, uh, around the horn, um, beyond our ken, and maybe a little bit of a dip into um, just a minute. Okay, yeah, I'd I'd love to talk about just a minute because I. Loved that show for years, and then I started having problems with it. But there are some problematic people. There's in that a show, problematic yes. person involved in that show, but we'll talk about that next and time. It isn't Kenneth Williams. <laughs> Not Kenneth Williams. Uh, until next time, I'm Dan Howland, the first man they look for, the last they want to meet. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I need a better tag. She wouldn't even say me a proper goodbye. I'm sorry, Chester. Well, I reckon she couldn't help them bad feelings. Mr. Dillon? Yeah, Chester. It ain't always easy to be a lawman. No, not always. Help, come on. Let's get the prisoner back to Dodge. stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. The story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Marion Clark, with editorial supervision by John Meston. Featured in the cast were Gene Bates, John Daner, and James Musser. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. George Walsh inviting you to join us again next week when CBS Radio presents another story on Gunsmoke.